Welcome to Turn of the Century, a podcast about the turn of the 20th century and inflection points in our modern history. As I mentioned previously, we are talking about this time point as a crucial foundational point in our history, but what marks the turn of the 20th century? Uh, By definition, it could just be, you know, December 31st, 1899, but we think a little bit more broadly than that. um, And we've been experimenting with maybe in the Starting in the 1870s, 1890s, today, we're talking specifically about 1871 and the Paris Commune, which I know can sound a bit shocking to start the turn of the century so far before uh, 1900. But to talk a little bit more about the Paris Commune and the significance of that moment, I have with us French and modern European history professor, John Merriman. Professor, welcome. Hi. I'm glad you're here as well. John has written a series of excellent books on this time period, on the commune, on um, the mythical Belle Epoque, which we will get to in a second episode. But this is the first of two episodes that we're going to talk today. And like I said before, we're diving into the commune. Uh, Many of you may have heard of the Paris Commune, but we're going to start very basically. John, can you lay out, I know this is going to be a challenging question to start with, But can you give us a basic understanding? What was the 1871 Paris Commune? Well, in um, March uh, 1871, ordinary people in Montmartre, which is now just a tourist trap, but uh, saw that that soldiers in their red pants they would have the red pants until they realized that the Prussian that the Germans could could see the red pants through the fog in 1914 that they went up to Montmartre to take back the cannons of the Paris National Guard. Montmartre uh, looms over the city of Paris, so cannons up there uh, had a very great ability, if used, to shoot down, fire down on Paris. And the women were at the market hoping it's hope to try to buy, find something to purchase, to eat, and they saw the the soldiers taking away or trying to take away the cannons. So they woke up the men folk and the men, women, and children blocked the the cannons from being taken down the narrow cobblestone streets uh, away from Montmartre. And that began uh, La Commune de Paris, the, the Paris Commune. Thiers, who was head of the provisional government, appropriately enough, uh, based in Versailles, where the kings had always been, uh, the Bourbons, until the French Revolution, uh, he pulls his troops out of Paris. They surround Paris, and the commune, uh, the commune of Paris, uh, begins on the 17th of March, and it lasts until Bloody Week, uh, which was from May 21st to 28th, when uh, ordinary people in Paris were slaughtered. And in the book I wrote about the Paris Commune called Massacre: The Life and Death of the Paris Commune is mostly about about Bloody Week and how Bloody Week, when you could be killed for simply being an ordinary person, anticipates the horrors of the late 19th century, the massacre of the Armenians in 1895, and again in 1915 by the Turks, and in later in the 20th century, when you could be killed for being a communist or be killed uh, simply for being Jewish. So the Paris Commune uh, 
ordinary people wanted to wanted to have uh, the right to have their own political lives, and the Versailles government did not want that. And uh, uh, La Commune de Paris is one of the most intriguing episodes in the 19th century. And the reason that we can discuss it in terms of the turn of the century uh, is that for me, and that's why I wrote the book, it anticipates uh, the horrors of the 20th century. Voila. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in, in that answer, you've answered a lot of questions I've been, you know, thinking about and planning, um, or you've d started to delve into them. And so picking up on, on one thread that you were just mentioning before, you know, the Paris Commune was a lot of average people and eventually the slaughter of, um, you know, average people. But what was the hope of the Paris Commune? What was the ideal? Well, there, you know, it's a whole mix of people and, and they were still debating and talking as the the guns, the cannons of the Versailles government got even closer and the slaughter would begin. I mean, there were Jacobins who were in the tradition of the French Revolution uh, and, and of 1848. Uh, there were moderate Republicans that just wanted Paris to have the right to have its own mayor. Paris had briefly had a mayor in 1848 and Paris wasn't allowed to have a mayor again until the dreadful Jacques Chirac became mayor in 1977 because the mayor of Paris would be seen as potentially uh, threatening to uh, to whoever was uh, was in power. Uh, there were also a smattering of anarchists uh, who didn't want any government at all. Uh, there were democratic socialists, a whole bunch of them. So it was a mix of, of ordinary people. Now, one thing that upon which we must insist is that they weren't drawn for basically from all parts of Paris, that, that it was uh, the ordinary people were from the, the plebeian Quartier, les quartiers populaires of Paris. Uh, they had annexed the, the government had had annexed the inner banlieue, the inner suburbs in 1860 and added more arrondissements. So there were 20 arrondissements as they are now. But the Paris Commune began in the 18th arrondissement, which includes Montmartre, but it included really the 17th, uh, the 19th, the 20th, and the 13th. And then these were this was people's Paris. Uh, these were ordinary artisans. Uh, these were uh, people who uh, earned their living uh, going down and working at the market and hauling huge sacks of everything around. Uh, these were men, but also women, because the role of women was terribly important. In the Paris Commune, there were, there were clubs of, of women. Women, uh, they, the, the clubs met in the largest places that you could meet, which were churches. And these people were basically not religious people, but they would go to uh, beautiful churches like Saint-Eustache and, and, and have political meetings. And women would would uh, horrify Catholic onlookers or practicing Catholic onlookers by getting up into the, where the priest would, would give the sermons on Sunday and, and, and demand equal rights, demand the rights of divorce, uh, demand the rights that their children be taught by lay teachers and not by the legions of nuns, of uh, sisters uh, who uh, were teaching in Paris. So it was a real mix, but one has to emphasize the, the social geography of it all. And these quarters would be would be singled out by the Versailles troops during Bloody Week. And that's something we can talk about in a while. Yeah. So, you know, one thing, I guess, before we get to the end of the commune, which is rather, I was going to say, disastrous. Maybe that's the wrong word. You know, it, a horrible ending um, is the way I'll put it. Before we get to the end. You know, the commune is also 
like we've been kind of hinting at talking about a radical experiment um, for a lot of different people for a lot of different interests or goals, you know, which can vary from, you know, average worker rights to anarchists to, um, you know, all sorts of revolutionaries. But what was the context for the Paris Commune? We kind of hinted at this before, you know, why 1870, why the spring of 1871? The French, Second French Empire of Napoleon III had collapsed. Uh, he stupidly got into a war with the Prussians and their their other allies among the German states, and they get they get uh, blown out. and And Napoleon III is literally virtually arrested. He was very ill, but he's sitting on a horse and in Sedan, which is right up near the Belgian border, and he's arrested. And that's the end of that. And on September fourth, uh, there had been a you know, basically, uh, yet another revolution in Paris. Paris, had, uh, the, uh, France was declared to be a republic. Um, but uh, uh, in the Franco-Prussian War, uh, Paris is surrounded and, and, and the French lose. And the Paris Commune uh, was uh, the work of lots of people who thought that, that the armistice had been signed too readily by the provisional government. And uh, so defeat was... Uh, the context, but but also um, the opportunity uh, with a new republic to to have more rights for Paris and to have a just and even social uh, republic that hopefully would come out of the whole mess. And so then, you know, it, it may sound a little obvious, but why were the French and I guess even Prussian powers that be threatened by the commune? And I also I'm curious if you think that you know, if the commune had succeeded, it would have spread to, or its ideas would have spread to other parts of France. Well, two quick points. One is that Bismarck, of course, was against the commune, Bismarck being the chancellor of Germany, and he allows the French troops that were had been, been put in prisoner of war camps to be released so they could join the army of Thiers, which had 30,000 people by the time the, the commune was crushed. Um, there were attempts at other communes, uh, one in Saint Etienne, one in Limoges, where I used to live for a long time, uh, uh, way back um, uh, in uh, Narbonne. Whenever there's something going on in in Paris, it's always followed in Narbonne, in Le Creusot, and in, in, in other places. There were attempts in Lyon, in Marseille as well. There were attempted communes, but it was a whole mix of things. And the Parisians hoped against hope. The communards hoped against hope that somehow. You know the the ordinary people in Lyon or Marseille would and Limoges and Saint Etienne would march to the rescue. Well, it didn't work out uh, that way. So uh, it has to be seen uh, in the context of the military military defeat, and also in the uh, the fact that at the end of the Second Empire there had been a whole wave of strikes uh, of uh, labor militancy uh, of demands for by women and men for for better conditions, and this sort of a lot of this happened in Paris, and this sort of fed into uh, the organization and the hopes of of the communards. And when I wrote the book on the com- the commune, I, the, the challenge was how do you how do you present this? And so I took people on both sides, mostly on the commune side, and I followed them. Uh, I took somebody who was very very well known, so people would follow it. Uh, the painter Gustave uh, Courbet, who was an important personage in the Sixth Arrondissement, uh, and then I took you know ordinary people. Uh, one of the not so ordinary people was I took the bishop, Archbishop of Paris, uh, Darbois, 
uh, who was executed on May 15th. Uh, and I took uh, a guy on the other side who kept a diary, and he wasn't a mass murderer like a lot of his colleagues, but I, I just followed these people through the commune um, and tried to, 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 to bring it to life. But the important thing is to concentrate on their hopes, and in the end, hoping against hope, and on the social geography of contention, of popular contention. And it was a magic moment that now the commune has become part of uh, the historiography of, uh, of France is taught in the schools. My kids were in school, French schools quite a, a few years. And, and uh, uh, when you go up to, uh, if you go up to, to uh, uh, Père Lachaise Cemetery, where the fighting, the final, they were fighting among the tombs in Père Lachaise Cemetery, you can go to the, what we call the Wall of the Federé. And pe- that's where they dug this big ditch and the, and the Versailles troops shot all the people that were digging the ditch and buried them in 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 this huge hole this whole this huge mass tomb and you could go up there you know when the wind is blowing and it's uh it's uh people still take flowers up there now and not just on the anniversary of the commune so it it, it still has uh you know an important place uh in the collective memory uh of ordinary people, above all ordinary people, on the left, it was uh, it was a great hope. It was a great social and political experiment, uh, full of those that the Versailles government considered uppity men and uppity women, uh, and they uh, shot them down. Uh, about fifteen thousand people, uh, ordinary people, died in the commune. I tell one story. Uh, I tell many stories in there. Uh, but um, a guy is uh, stopped by a couple of sergeants, and they say, let me look at your hands. And he didn't have the the soft hands of somebody who types for a living, such as little old me. He had the rough hands of a mason, battered hands. And they said, what, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a mason. And they said, so it's masons going to run France now? Up against the wall, MF. Uh, they didn't say MF, but they, they had their own terms, and, and they killed him right there because he's an ordinary person. So these, this is what I tried to do to bring it all to life. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's still wrenching you know, when, when, you, when you read it, when you read the archives, and, and you see what happened during that time. It's thrilling, too. Yeah, and I want to get into that just a quick aside. Because again, we've kind of been hinting at this, but what was reality? What was the reality of life like in the few months of the commune? Um, because obviously, the uh, Versailles government painted a certain picture. Um, before we get into the bloodshed, what was it, what was it like to be, let's say, a Mason in in Paris at the time? Well, you didn't have any work. I mean, there that uh, you know, basically, the economy is shut down. If you're talking about during the commune, I mean, there there wasn't uh, much work. But point of view, the Versailles government, they said, well, and the, the the elite, you know, who were drinking their champagne in Versailles, they were saying, oh, these are just a bunch of uh, drunken commoners, and they're getting into the wine cave, into the wine cellars of the rich, and they're just, you know, drinking themselves blotto all the time. Uh, but in fact, um, you know, one of the, th- the interesting things about the the commune is at a time there wasn't much work and lots of suffering that people. We're still meeting in clubs and deciding what kind of future 
uh, they they wanted to have. Um, it was a time that was was full of hope. The political clubs uh, uh, meeting in, the, as I said before, in the churches, which is in the largest uh, places that, that that you could meet. It was rather like the French Revolution. The Jacobin Club and the French Revolution wasn't called the Jacobin Club because they were religious, because the Jacobin was a a religious order, but they were called the Jacobin because they met in the convent of the Jacobin, which was a, a large place that they could meet. So, but the guns got closer. And the, one of the ironies is that the, you know, because the, the cannons are being fired out from the West, basically, uh, outside of Paris to the West, uh, they were taking, they were you know, destroying houses in the fancier, uh, quarters in, 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 in in, in, in Western Paris, in what are now are the 16th and the 8th and the 7th arrondissement. Um, so um, people just wanted to have enough to eat and uh, kept waiting for these armies to arrive, for these people to arrive from uh, Lyon and Marseille, and they never arrived, or hoping there'd be some sort of settlement. Uh, so uh, remember, it only lasts from uh, from March 17th until Bloody Week. So um, we're talking about a, a matter. Of weeks, but it was hard. If most people in Paris, the wealthy could get out. They always had, they had a place to go. They had, a, you know, a chateau. They had an aunt in Tours. They had an aunt in Rouen or an uncle in Rouen or something like that. So they could get out. But poor people had no nowhere to go. And the military prosecutors screamed when they're trying people and lining them up to shoot them. A Paris, tout le monde était coupable. In Paris, everybody was guilty. But he meant, meant, but all the people who weren't wealthy enough to get out of Paris, who had nowhere else to go. So uh, Paris was overwhelmingly a, a, a place uh, inhabited by working people uh, who could get by when things were good. But when things were not good economically, uh, they couldn't get by. And they want, they wanted what, what would have been called during the Second Republic, 1848 to 51, le droit de travail, the right to work. They wanted protection. Uh, for their trades uh, from the government. So there were lots of interesting things going on. And the amazing things, just, you know, in the days before it all collapsed, uh, they were still debating and hoping for the future. And it must have been on May 16th, I think it is, they they, they bring, at Courbet's suggestion and others, they knock down uh, the uh, the Vendôme column in the Place Vendôme because it had a statue of Napoleon I on top. And everybody applauds and they have their pictures taken uh, next to the fallen pieces of, of this column, which, of course, was put back up. And it's an elegant place and, and all of that. So there was hope until the end and then it all falls apart. So they were trying to survive. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary of a period of um, basically uncertainty, but the idea of like um, waiting and hope and, you know, kind of a mix where like uh, almost hope against hope, I guess, um, that, you know, it becomes clear that there isn't there aren't going to be reinforcements. Um, there isn't going to be a commune of Marseille or Lyon coming to save the day, which leads us to Bloody Week. Basically, how does the Paris commune end? What well, ends? The, 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 the troops come pouring into Paris. Uh, a gate is left open. And, and also, who's tro- which troops are these? Uh, Versailles, the Versailles government. Okay. Uh, the traditional government. And they go down the big boulevards that Osman 
and Napoleon III had created. The tourists, American tourists and British tourists, German tourists, when they go to Paris now, they tend to be attracted to boulevards, and these were created in the 1850s and 60s. And one of the reasons they created it was you couldn't build barricades across boulevards. And then they move into the working class quarters and begin killing people. I want to tell one story because you could get lucky. And here's a quick story about someone who got lucky. He was a journalist. Um, and he had a, managed to get a hold of a red armband. This is in the last hours, last day, really, of, of the commune during Bloody Week. And he's walking up the Boulevard Saint-Michel, which is an awful, awful boulevard. Um, and he stopped. And they say, what do you do? What do you do? And he says, he lies. He says, I'm a, I'm a, a medical person because he had a red armband on uh, from the Red Cross. And uh, the, the, the guys who arrested him said, well, you're a communist or you're a socialist because you've got red. Red is their color, isn't it? So they arrest him. And, he, and he's tried for 35 seconds in one of the courts, which they set up here in the Senate, which is right next to the, Jardin, the, the gardens of Luxembourg. And he's class A, means they're going to execute him. So he's waiting in line to be killed. He's waiting in line to be killed, not for a you know, ticket to go to a theater in the Latin Quarter, but to be shot because they were killing him one after another. And the guy next to him is guarding him and said, Qu'est-ce que tu as fait dans la vie? Past tense. What did you do in life when you were alive? He said, he lies. He says, well, I was a medical student. And the guy says, I'm a medical student, too. Let me see what I can do. And so he tries to get his boss to let the guy, and it's, you know, 15, 14, 13, you can hear the machine guns. Uh, and he comes back, he says, I can't find him. Uh, I can't find him. So I'll try something else. And he runs away again, you know, five, four, three, he's going to be shot. He's third in line to be killed. And he says, you're all right. I got you off. And he takes him away. And they go across the street from the Jardin Luxembourg to a bar. And he has a drink with the two guys that arrested him and his savior. And of course, being me, being me, I have to write anything I write about. I have to see I've gone to that bar to have a drink. Uh, the same bar is still there by Luxembourg. So it was serendipity. You could get lucky and not be killed. But in most cases, it was up against the wall, MF, and, the, and, and that was the end of the green beans. It was in French, la fin des articles, the end of the green beans. It's a great expression. And they'd be killed. So uh, that that's what happens. And the, the last shots are fired uh, right near uh, Père Lachaise after the fighting in the cemetery. And then they chain men and women together, uh, women together and take them out to Versailles uh, and uh, execute more men. Um, I was in a hotel de ville in town hall drinking champagne re recently in honor of a friend who won a prize. And I kept thinking on the other side is this this barracks of the Hotel de Ville. We have an apartment quite near there, actually. Um, and that's where they were killing people, just massacring them during the Paris Commune. So, uh, but again, the point of my of the book, and one of them, and what I'm saying now, is it anticipates the demons of the 20th century, when you could be killed for simply being Armenian or being Jewish or, uh, you know, 6.2 million uh, in World War II. And so th that this was something that was unusual for, for the 19th century. Uh, and anticipates the demons of the 20th century, as I've already said twice. But, uh. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to kind of wrap up with, um, is if you can elaborate more on that, you know, because um, I was thinking, um, especially for American listeners, American fans of history, um, there's a number of, maybe, I don't know if you use commune, but like kind of um, utopias being set up around this time, like societies trying to make the world a better place at the end of the 1800s, 
but why why is the Paris Commune important? You know, how did the the massacres you're just describing, how did Bloody Week set up much of the history of the 20th century? Well, in the first, the France then almost becomes a monarchy. Uh, and it's what they call the Republic of the Moral Order, which lasts really till 1877. And uh, uh, there was lots of of hatred of what happened. Uh, if you go to Paris, one thing don't visit. Don't visit Sacré-Cœur, the Basilica of Sacré-Cœur, uh, not because I, I don't like its, its architecture, which you can find cathedrals in Saintes and in uh, Paragueux that has Byzantine architecture. Uh, I hate it because it was put up there on places where they hauled communards around, tortured them, and then executed them. And it was there uh, to build a, a basilica that's saying, oh, France must have sinned, uh, you know, forgive us. And, and so it's up there. It's a, it's a, it's a, dreadful, uh, a, a dreadful monument. But ultimately, you know, by 1890, uh, 1891, when, we, when they had the first May Day demonstrations, Louise Michel, who had been a, a, a participant in the commune, a, a female participant in, in the commune, who had seen state terror up close, and she becomes an anarchist, and she was the, one of the people leading the marches on May Day. And May Day is still important uh, in most of Europe and, and in, in France. It's not important in, in Hungary and uh, in, in Poland these days. It should be, Poland's become a, you know, a, a fascist theocracy, and I go to Poland all the time, so it makes me very sick. But anyway, May 1st is an extremely important uh, uh, date uh, for the left, and it becomes part of the, uh, the collective memories. Uh, uh, so um, if you want to go to Montmartre, which is a tourist trap, as I've already said once before, I, I would avoid Sacre Coeur. You can still see zillions of Americans uh, sitting up on the steps there and, uh, and all that. Voila. So, you know, zooming out a little bit more, um, like I said at the beginning, one of the, the dates we've been playing with as a kind of beginning of the end of um, the 19th century and, you know, a movement towards 20th century, towards very modern history, um, could be 1870s, could be around the Paris Commune. What do you think about the Paris Commune as a kind of beginning of the end of the 19th century? Well, you, I mean, there's been a lot of debate about this. You can see it as the last of the uh, of the French revolutions after 1789, 92, 1830, 1848, attempt to save the republic in 1851. Uh, it's a more semi-skilled crowd. Uh, we used to write these articles, books about the crowd in history. My late friend, George Roday, that's the title of one of his, uh, one of his books. So you can see this as in some ways the last of of um, the 19th century revolutions. I think that's fair enough. Uh, France wouldn't have another really attempted revolution uh, until 1968. Uh, so it's the last of, but by that point of view. But in terms of repression, that's where you're looking, anticipating, and that's the point of my book, I guess, State Terror. You're looking at the 20th century. Uh, so uh, it's both the last of, in the sense of the last of the traditional French revolutions, um, and it's the first of uh, the kind of violent state-orchestrated repression of ordinary people that that came to characterize. Uh, uh, well, I mean, there's atrocities at the beginning of World War One, most of them by the by the the Germans in Belgium and in in uh, uh, in France, 
Uh, but the, but when we think of the atrocities, you think of the, all the Armenians who died in 1895 and in 1915, but above all, what happens uh, in, in Hitler's, uh, Hitler's Germany and, and what happens to the Jews. So it, it anticipates, as I said before, the demons of the 20th century. So that's looking forward. In, in a way, that's why I wrote the book, I guess. That's a good point to think about, you know, what kind of history we're talking about. If we're talking about, you know, a turning points in, in state terror, you know, state violence, then I think certainly, um, you know, it could be a real turning point. And of course, it's something that we can still debate more. Um, and so this is where I'm going to leave off our first conversation. We are going to next time talk about fast forwarding right on the eve of World War One. So kind of the other pole of the turn of the century period that we're talking about. But John, thank you so much for joining us today um, and look forward to talking again very soon. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks. Ciao. And this is a, a reminder too, uh, before I let you go to subscribe, rate, review, turn of the century, let your friends know it really helps us get discovered and have more great conversations. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>